Welcome to the Informal Podcast. Man, that the intro music just gets me going so much more now. Um, Every single time. I'm so hyped. It like in, invigorates me with energy. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it, it's definitely a refreshing, refreshing take on the Informal Pod. I'm so happy to be joined by my co-host of this podcast, Sam Lewis. Sam, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great, and I am doing so much better because... I couldn't believe it, but I was I was happy to find out that the SEC canceled the championship game today. They they just didn't play it. That was fantastic. Wow! I mean, it so made my afternoon so much better. It was so nice of them to not play that game today. Really freed up your afternoon, huh? Yeah, it was a lot. You know, a lot less stressful. I you know had time to take a nap. It was wonderful. So we'll we'll definitely get into the the bracket, the seating, who we like. Um, from our, of course, we're trusted sources of bracketology, you know, I mean, in the last year's bracket pod, and you know that <laughs> I think I've, I think I picked Virginia to win it last year. <laughs> I, we both might have, <laughs> they lost in the first round. Um, and, uh, a couple weeks ago on this pod, I said Virginia was going to win it again. So I may need to do some soul searching. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so we got some great reaction from last week's pod. If you haven't listened to it. A lot of it's probably outdated, so. But if you want to learn if the Yeti's real or not, you may want to go back and listen to it. That was the most hard hitting analysis we did in the whole pod. Easily, like a, an hour and forty five minutes worth of just Yeti analysis. <laughs> it was my favorite part of the pod, that's for sure. So we we did like like I said, get some feedback uh, from from the pod last week. So let's just go through some of this. Um, sort of hit our uh, quick hits, you know, if you will. Um, some thoughts on uh, some of the stuff we got in from it. Um, so one person said um, that banning the shift, like we talked about in, in MLB games, um, that they're doing in, in the Atlantic League, as, uh, they said banning the shift is like the NBA banning the zone, uh, that it creates more scoring even if it's a longer game because more guys get on base. Every change lately in professional sports is about getting more points scored because that's what people like to watch. What are your thoughts on that? This came in from a, a faithful listener who is not a big baseball fan, which I'm really interested to hear. Like, we're talking about baseball. You don't like baseball. At least let us know what you think about the conversation. So we really appreciate it. Um, I, th- I had this thought while we were talking that it kind of dawned on me that the NBA did kind of ban the shift. Um, a while back, maybe in the 90s, I don't know. And you really don't notice it. Um, but you can get away, like you can ban the shift. Like we talked about, you can do it. It doesn't change things that much. I just think it takes out a piece of strategy. You take a weapon away from the manager, forcing everybody to play the same defense in a sport like baseball where everybody's already doing everything the same way is just a missed opportunity for me. I think it's a good way to differentiate um, between teams, between from batter to batter. It's something different to look at. Um, and I don't know that baseball necessarily wants more runs to be scored. They just want more action. You know, they want more balls in play. They want, they want things to move faster, which I've always kind of had a problem with because baseball moves slow. I mean, it does like you can, you can take away some of the dead time. Sure. But the sport itself is not going to be a fast paced sport, like, you know, soccer or basketball. It's just not, um, but we really appreciated that feedback. That's a great point. Yeah, that so I should have mentioned on last week's pod and failed to. Well, I was actually talking to somebody um, at our facility this week about the shift and just sort of the new rule changes changes in general. And he'd recently read a book uh, where they compiled all this analysis on the shift, where the team is moved an extra defender to the other side of the base, 
for an at-bat. And pretty much it turns out that less people have gotten out on times that they've shifted than if they would have just stayed in the right spot. Um, so, for instance, if, if I mean, the, the biggest shift you see is with a left-handed pull hitter that you're going to move the third baseman over to where the second baseman usually plays and the second baseman in the shallow right, you know what I mean? But most right. of the time, like, the second baseman doesn't make that out. Like, it's the third baseman who's just playing in the second base spot. Um, so it's just fielded by a different person. But that out still would have been made if the second baseman was playing in his normal spot. Um, so, I mean, as a pitcher, if players are shifted and they shoot it through the other side, I'm like, gosh, if they were only playing normal, this guy would be out right now, right? But I don't really notice the ones that are actually the shift works on. Um, but it sounds like statistically, you know, from, from what I heard, um, you know, that the shift actually doesn't work. So that's, um, that's interesting. I would be interested to read that, um, that report because everything, I mean, you just look at batting average across the league and batting average is tanked. I mean, and you can pick out examples of guys. The first one that pops into my mind, because I'm a Braves fan is Brian McCann. He went from being like a consistent 270, 280 hitter to now he's lucky if he can bat over 200 in a season because a ton of his hits were, you know, pulled line drives and ground balls in between first and second base. And that's an out. Now there's not as many, you know, batting averages as a whole has dropped because pitchers are better. And like you talked about last week, people are trying to hit home runs. So, you try to hit the ball harder, you're going to swing and miss more. Batting average goes down, so there's more than one, more than one cause for that kind of thing. But I, I would be interested to read that because everything I've heard is that on mass the shift does do a, help teams to I guess turn more balls in play into outs. Yeah, that's I mean maybe that's not true. I don't know. I mean this is informal. We're not doing <laughs> field research. Exactly right. I just throw the pitches right, and you just watch the games. <laughs> exactly. Um, so another thing we got back was we've had games fixed by rest within the last 12 years. You know, that's technically true with Donaghy. You know, that's, that's not just an observation. Um, no, it's facts. But any, they say anything we can do to remove humans from the refing situations, we should do. Thoughts? I think that that's – theoretically, that's accurate. I mean, there's certain – there's certain extenuating circumstances that, I mean, you're not going to get rid of human officials at all or completely ever because there, there are certain calls that you have to have a human person there to make. But if we have the technology to, to get it right 100% of the time, I kind of agree with, agree with this, this input that, yeah, if you can get it right, why wouldn't you? We're going to talk about um, VAR, the video assistant referee in soccer, shortly and how my Swansea City Swans got absolutely just railroaded this weekend because the English English soccer just doesn't have it. Every league in the world has has replay except for the English English league and of course my team's the one that wears it on the nose. But if you have the ability for yeah, I'm stepping on a point I'm going to make later. But yeah, okay. if you can if you can get calls right, you should get calls right. Sure. I agree with that. Um they also said things got very formal during our pitching conversation. It was good material, but it was weird when you could tell one of you definitely knew what he was talking about. So, I mean, the thing that, that is a red flag for me here is they said things got very formal, which is the exact opposite of what we want in this podcast. So I'd That's like to take a moment about. and apologize for that segment. That was very wrong of us. 
I think it was good analysis, but that's not what you come here for, and I, we apologize. Also, it's a shot at me when you're saying that one person knows what he's talking about. So, you know, noted. Well, it's Shots my job. It's my job minutes. to know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> literally. Um, the last thing this person wrote in was said, why do you got to hate on Texas? I know we're bad, but, you know, I also don't appreciate people using we're as, you know, eh, yeah. But I know we're bad. I'm a wee guy. I'm but, a wee but I'm going to appreciate so, uh, the heck out of an opportunity to lose by 20 to a mid-major five seed in the tournament. Unfortunately, Texas is not going to get that opportunity. Maybe they'll at least lose segue. to a mid-major <laughs> mid major in the NIT. In the NIT. Um, wow. You're not going to get what that anywhere segue. else, folks. You're not going to get that anywhere else. Um, what a segue. Let's talk brackets. Do you have anything else before we talk brackets? Yeah, yeah there's there's a couple couple more. Um, okay. We got a, a little a little bit more input into the pod. So I put up some polls um, from our, our conversation last week. A little bit of everything that we talked about. Got some good input. The first was, is the Yeti real? Okay, I mean, that like we talked we mentioned earlier, that was the main point of our podcast last week, the topic of our conspiracy closet, which we will get back to here at the end of this pod. That's a um, good little, one this week. A little foreshadowing there for you. Um, but 65% of our audience said that, yes, the Yeti is real, which aligns perfectly with my beliefs. I am so proud of the audience <laughs> that, that they actually took to my analysis um, and we're persuaded by it. So, I mean, do you have a rebuttal from that is what I'm asking. Well, I mean, when you make a point that is along the lines of it's real because I know in my heart that it's real, there, there's no arguing with that. I mean, that's just the case is closed. So okay, I respect so, our audience. I respect uh, our audience for, for, for seeing that and you know falling in line with you. That's a great segue to our, my next poll, which is my main point that came out of my mouth on why the Yeti is real. As I said, belief is the first necessity of truth, which... Maybe the most profound or idiotic statement I've ever made in my entire life. So I decided to ask the audience because, I mean, right, the people have to vote on this, right? And they actually said that, yes, belief is the first necessity of truth, 60 to 40 percent, which it correlates extremely to is the Eddie real question. So case closed. It's in the book. The Yeti is real because belief is the first necessity of truth. <laughs> I've got no rebuttal. I mean, you you have now pulled even on our podcast polls in the history of this podcast. It's now one to one. Congratulations to you. Also, Atlanta United just scored, and I think the city of Atlanta is going to burn to the ground. <laughs> wow, developing story here. Keep us developing updated on story. that. Developing um, story. The fire cannons are going off. A, a couple more polls we ran is I asked what is. What is killing Duke season more, Jack White or cell phones? Cell phones actually came out on top, um, which not surprised. So Jack White also killing Duke season, um, but Zion was able to, I guess, um, come in and and uh, help help Duke win the ACC tournament. You know, Jack just White didn't do anything Zion there. Right. Just proves how good Zion is that he was able to overcome not only Florida State but also Jack White. Jack White's still terrible, by the way. Update weekly update on Jack White. Terrible still. Um, and the last poll we ran is with the Birmingham City fan. He ran onto the field a member of the Peaky Blinders. Obviously, the uh, Twitterverse said yes, he was just as just as we suspected. So um, case if closed the there person- as well. If you're the person or persons that said, no, he's not in the Peaky Blinders, hit me up. I want to know your thought process on this. 
So lastly, we got some mentions on Twitter here. Um, one Twitter user at Mullendor615, I think I know who that is, um, tweeted at us and said, my take, to fi- my take to fix the strikeout problem is to move the fence back. Affects most hitters' ability to hit bombs, opens up the field so that more hits are allowed, and probably runs scored increase, but probably not feasible because the cost to move walls and stadiums would be expensive. Very true. Thoughts? Um, I mean, that's one way to do it. I think that what you probably see is hitters just continue to get bigger and stronger, and eventually, like, there's, there's stadiums now. Like you think about AT&T Park in San Francisco and I think San Diego, Kansas City. There's parks that are huge that suppress home runs, but guys are still trying to hit home runs. You know, Moving the fence back doesn't change the value of a home run. It just theoretically makes it a little harder to hit one. Um, I think there's easier ways to do it, but that's an interesting point, and that's definitely one thing that, that you could do. But I don't know. It depresses home runs but it wouldn't necessarily depress offense because there's a lot more outfield space to cover. You're going to get a lot more singles, doubles, and triples, which if that's, if that's what you want in your baseball, you know, that's a good way to do that. And there's something to be said for it, but um, I, I think that you're likely to see a lot, of other, a, lo- a lot of other solutions before they try that one. Sure. Creative analysis, though. I, I appreciate Definitely. that. Um, Absolutely. And then lastly, at Tyler Fullerton reached out to us and said, as the informal, unofficial, official, mythological creature expert slash hunter, I'm disappointed in this podcast and the hosts. Ouch. There was no mention of how the surviving Yeti from the mass Sherpa extinction of 781 BC turned to blood magic to obtain his elusive powers or open the Yeti casino in the high peaks of Nepal, which many Sherpas, including Vladimir Putin, frequently visit. Huge facts to overlook in any circumstance. Wow. As the I mean, unofficial, official mythological creature expert slash hunter. I think that this, I think this is on us. I mean, I don't know how we, um, as a podcast duo, failed to realize that there was an official, unofficial, official podcast, or what, what do you say, <laughs> Yeti Hunter, within our Mythological creature think, expert slash excuse hunter. Excuse me. Excuse me. We, we should have known. Um, we should have got his input on the front end and not let him come. I appreciate him coming at us after the fact. Um, I think he makes great points, you know, furthering the, the Sherpa, the Sherpa fight against the Yetis. You know, I only went so deep into that cause this is informal, but you know, <laughs> extra information is always appreciated in these sort of situations. Um, and yeah, I, it's fantastic. And also another another nail in the coffin of Vladimir Putin was in on the Yeti hoax. So, <laughs> I think go. it's another nail in the coffin that the Yeti is actually real, though, from from this user. So I, I will make a promise to the informal community that if we have another mythological creature discussion in the conspiracy closet, we will have the informal U.S. official unofficial mythological creature expert slash hunter on the pod to discuss this debate. I will second that motion only on the condition that this person in question makes business cards with that title and puts <laughs> them in all the little fish bowls at restaurants that you go to and tries to win free lunches. Agreed. 
Agreed. Okay, <clears throat> so let's get into this NCAA bracket. Man, not as smooth of a transition as before, but you know what? Hey, you should. Yeah, this is mm-hmm. good thing it's informal because there was a great. I tried to get you to segue like ten minutes ago, but mm-hmm. hey, here we are. I know. Okay. If you have any feedback, of course, reach out to us. We'll discuss it on the pod at Informal US on Twitter. Um, we also actually have a voicemail box set up too. I guess this is a great time now to plug this in. But if you want to give us a call and leave us a voicemail, we will play it on the pod and we will discuss what you say. Keep it clean, but the number is 615-669-2623. Again, that's 615-669-2623. Call us about literally anything and we will talk about it. So there you go. There's that. Um, Okay, moving into the NCAA bracket. Man, we're just about two hours out from the bracket going live. Does anything stick out to you initially? Any hot takes you see right off the bat? Um, Well, I'm going to step all over your hot take and say congratulations to the Belmont Bruins for making the tournament as an at-large bid. Good job by the the selection committee keeping Texas, Indiana, um, who are the other joke mid or, you know, major conference programs that wanted to get in. NC State. Good job. Good job by them putting Belmont in over all of those fraudulent programs. Um, and not only that, giving Belmont what, I mean, we'll probably get to this, but what I see as a clear path to the Sweet 16. I mean, there is no one in Belmont's way of standing between Belmont and the Sweet 16. I mean, yeah, Belmont plays Temple. They have to play in the playing game, which... I mean, first of all, it's huge for Belmont to even get an at-large. It's the first time that they have had an at-large bid. It just sort of speaks to where the program is going. And at some That's point, the, you have to get out of that automatic bid sort of mantra that you get stuck in, right, as a program. You have to, as a mid-major, that's what Gonzaga did. I'm sure for a long time they were, you know, just they had to get an automatic bid. But all of a sudden they started winning and, you know, getting – at large bids and helps you get more recruits because it's like, hey, it's we can go to the tournament no matter if we win the turn, you know, the our conference tournament or not. Um, so regardless of what Belmont does in this tournament, uh, it's a huge step for their program, I think. Absolutely, it's the first OVC at large bid ever, right? Did I see that? Is that accurate? Did I make that up? I'm we're not gonna, sure. We're gonna we're gonna say that it's accurate because it's informal, and I, you know, one of the hosts said it, so it has to be true, right? Um, so yeah, congrats to Belmont. Um, so yeah, yeah they, I think they got. I think they got a good draw. Yeah, they yeah. play. They play Temple. They three play and a half Temple. Point favorites. Are Belmont's they really? The li- that line's already up. Yep. Wow. Okay, so yep. yeah, they're three and a half point favorites. Um, and if they win that game, they have to play Maryland. Maryland as a six seed. Maryland, who I hated on um, in last week's podcast for being a, a big time team um, that probably shouldn't get in. Little did I know they were twenty two and ten at the time. So they're they're. Uh, there puts a damper on my analysis, but <laughs> Belmont. Hopefully, if they beat them, they'll probably get LSU, which is going through a dicey situation. So you never LSU know. LSU in shambles. The the artist formerly known as LSU at this point. Mm, mm. So yeah, Belmont has a pretty clear path to Sweet Sixteen. Um, I don't know. They're a good team. They're a team definitely to watch out for. Definitely to watch on Tuesday night to play. See if they even get into the actual field of 64 here so Tennessee man 
Should we? Should we? Let's let's talk Tennessee Kentucky first. Tennessee Kentucky yes, on Saturday let's, night. Let's dwell on that one. Um, I mean, I guess actually, do you want the good news or bad news first? Uh, just hit me. Hit me with the bad news first. Okay, so they got crushed today. I mean, at one point they like turned the a grape turned the ball over in like eight out of ten possessions. I mean, it was awful. I mean, it was it was so bad where I didn't even watch the second half to be honest with you because I mean it was it over. got worse. Yeah, um, but. They had played a tough game the night before. Um, Auburn's just gives a team like Tennessee trouble. Uh, Bruce Pearl obviously wants to wants to beat Tennessee any chance he gets. So didn't have the best conference championship. But to be honest with you, even seeing Michigan State win the Big Ten championship and be on a two line, I bet Tennessee even if they won would have been on a two line still. So they end up. On the two line, they face the fighting toothpastes of Colgate in the first round. They were twenty four and ten. Man, are the toothpastes going to come out and 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 upset Tennessee or what? I'm a Crest toothpaste man. I always have been. Um, <laughs> Colgate makes awful toothpaste, and they have bad basketball. Do you think there's a dental hygiene major at Colgate? There has to be, right? Like uh, Colgate is in the Patriot League. You know, they, I guess, play basketball there. I didn't know that till today. Um, congratulations to them for not being a 16 seed, but being a 15 seed. And congratulations to them for being 18 and a half point dogs to our Tennessee Volunteers um, on Friday. I think that my take on today's game against Auburn is just that Tennessee looked completely gassed. I mean, you can talk about why they look gassed. You know, it's three, game, three games in three days. Auburn was playing their fourth game in four days. Um, I kept waiting for Auburn to run out of gas. They never did. Um, so that's concerning a little bit that, you know, on the third day, Tennessee just looked dead in the water. But at the same time, Auburn shot 43s today, uh, which is a lot. Uh, they only made 15 of them. It felt like so much more than that. Like it, felt like, it felt like Auburn made 33s. Every time Tennessee would go on a mini run, like there was a couple times in the second half where Tennessee would score five or six in a row. And then Auburn would come down and make two threes in a row and two consecutive possessions. And it's like, okay, well, there went that run. You know, it's gone. We couldn't get – see, I told you I'm a wee guy. We couldn't get mm. Grant Williams the ball on the inside. Admiral Schofield didn't show up today. Lamonte Turner was the only, the only guy who really looked like he had it. And it's disappointing. But I, yeah, I'm choosing to focus more on Saturday's game against Kentucky because that, sh- that shows you how good Tennessee's team can be in a game where they did not play well for, you know, 35 minutes, they were able to to hit big shots, get big defensive stops, and pull out a game against a top-five team in a just a really tough environment. And, yeah, they came out today and laid an egg. But I would rather, I would rather them lay the egg today than next weekend. So that's the way I'm choosing to look at it. I'm choosing to be optimistic, which is weird for me. Um but, yeah, that's, that's what I think about it. I'm just hoping that we don't see Auburn at any point in the tournament, which looking at the bracket, it doesn't look like we will unless somehow we make the national championship game. But, you know, that's all I want to say about this Auburn game. I hope we never play them again. Bruce Pearl's insufferable. And, yeah, I, I, good riddance. I hope we don't have to play them anymore. So can you we could, talk about the could, Kentucky game now? <laughs> you could play Auburn in the, uh, in the, in the Final Four, actually. Um, they're in Are that Midwest the bracket. Yeah, you're on, you're on the same side of them. And you're on the same well, size as Kentucky. Sign, sign, so. me sign, sign me up for that. I'll take either one of those games. There, Give so, me the Final Four. I don't care who we play. So Jay Williams put you guys in the Final Four against Kentucky just now. 
Um, and man, what Kentucky a game winning. that would be! Had Kentucky what winning. A, what a game that would be! Can no. we all just agree to root for that to happen? After I mean, the game they played on Saturday, if we get round four of that, that would be fantastic. All right, so talk Tennessee-Kentucky on Saturday night. Then I'm sort of going to give my thoughts on Tennessee in the tournament this year. Okay, so my takeaway at the end of that game was that Kentucky's really good. Like, P.J. Washington, I can imagine how frustrating he must be for a Kentucky fan because there are instances inside of games and five- and six-minute stretches where he just looks like – he looks like an NBA player playing, you know, it looks like a man amongst boys. And then he'll – either get a ticky-tack foul or, you know, have a call go against him. And he kind of – I don't know if he hangs his head or what, but he'll just disappear. Like, I think he only played five and a half minutes in the first half of that game on Saturday. And then he comes out in the second half and feels like he absolutely dominates for about the first eight minutes of the second half. But you look up and he's only got 12 points. Uh, but still, I mean, regardless. He I mean, he didn't have any like, in the first half, so he had 12 nothing. and eight yeah, minutes. Yeah. So I, that's, that's you know, he got hot. He carried him for a while. He was really instrumental in Kentucky pulling out to the lead that they had. Then you got a guy like Reed Travis. Travis Reed, Reed Travis, what's his name? I don't know. He's good. Reed um, Travis. Yeah, and when their guards – got two first names. Guards, I, I'd never trust a guy with two first names. I'm sorry. If you're out there with two first names, I'm questioning you. <laughs> uh, but if Kentucky's guards, you know, if Keldon Johnson and Tyler Hero make their, make their jump shots, that's a really good team. Um, if just, Tyler, Tyler Hero is a bucket, he's not a bucket. He's he is firmly not a bucket. And I would also uh, like to like to preach the Tyler Tyler Hero principle right now. If you're playing Tennessee at any point during this tournament over the next two or three weeks, hopefully, don't say anything to Admiral Schofield. Like if you score on Admiral Schofield, keep your mouth shut. If you block one of Admiral Schofield's shots, don't say anything because the first time you run your mouth to Admiral Schofield, it's over. He's gonna make. Every shot he takes for the rest of the game, he's going to dunk on you. He is going to murder you like he murdered that poor guy from Mississippi State on Friday night. Just don't don't talk to him because once you get his motor going, he, it's over. That's an aside. I think Kentucky is one of the top five teams in the country. Looking at their bracket, I think they'll. I think I've got them in the Final Four. I mean, we're going to dig into that later, but I would pick them to come out of that bracket. And Tennessee winning that game in the way they did was – very encouraging, notwithstanding the way the Auburn game went today. They were 7 of 9 from 3 in the first half, which I was sitting here with a friend of mine watching the game, and I just asked him, I was like, you think that's sustainable? And he just started laughing. Like, there's no way you're going to sustain 7 of 9. What I didn't expect was for them to come out and miss their first eight threes in the second half. Um, and for them to, you know, pull through that, missing eight consecutive three-pointers to at the end of the game, Grant Williams hits a big three, then Admiral Schofield hits a big three. And then Lamonte Turner just hits the dagger at the end to give Tennessee the win. Lamonte Turner, who over the last three weeks of SEC play, was, I believe the stat was six for his last 46 from three. Six for Jeez. 46. Yeah, that's six for 46. And It's better than Jack White. Of, it's better than Jack White, but not by much. I mean, that's <laughs> Jack White level. He did make six, which Jack White makes zero. So, you know, <laughs> inherently it's better. But it's in the same realm. And I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, like I've been saying to trust Lamonte that he'll come out of it. He's a big shot maker, but I'm not going to lie to you. Yesterday when he was pulling, you know, shots early in the second half, missing everything, his shot selection is awful because he thinks he's going to make everything he shoots. So he's never seen a shot that he doesn't like. 
I really started to question Lamonte about halfway through the second half yesterday. I was like, when, at what point do you just have to sit him down? Because he's, he's shooting us out of the game. And then for him to step up and hit that three the way he did at the end, I mean, just ice in his veins. Like, it was good the whole way. It never had a chance to miss. And it's just fantastic. It's one of the high, you know, one of the, one of the best experiences of my fandom of the Tennessee basketballs. That's great. This senior class is now, I think, six and four against Kentucky, which will probably be the first senior class to go to have a winning record versus Kentucky since who knows when, you know, Ernie and Bernie in the 70s. I don't know. It's fantastic. Tennessee fans, focus on the game Saturday, not the game today, and drive to Columbus and root these boys on against the fighting toothpastes on Friday. Yeah, then they'll have Cincinnati and Ohio in round two. Oh, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) So Tennessee is the fifth overall seed, I saw, the number one two seed, yet we still have to play an away game in our second game. How is that? How does that work? It makes no sense. It doesn't matter. Tennessee's going to beat Cincinnati by 12 points. So, okay, Tennessee is a great team. I mean, they were 29-5 and this year. I mean, the the teams they lost to were Auburn twice, which just seemed to give them fits, right? Um, They lost to Kentucky once. They lost to LSU. And was the last team they lost to? Kansas in overtime and at Thanksgiving when Kansas was full strength, number one in the country. Okay, so Auburn's a five seed, and they really shouldn't have been. Uh, I Auburn should not have been a five. They should have been a four. Auburn's a really good team. So, I mean, really, if you think about them as a four, Tennessee didn't lose to anybody lower than a four all year long. I mean, they're a solid team. But the thing – hopefully you can follow me here at this analysis – the thing that worries me about Tennessee is teams that usually win the tournament are teams that excel when things go haywire, right? Like they, these games aren't always as cookie cutter as conference games or non-conference games in the sense that things get a little wild, emotions are high, um, you can't always get into a set and run an offense. Um, and Tennessee is okay in transition, but... Um, like they, they just work well because they work good as a unit. You know, they work good in a the system. They play really, really hard. Um, and all those things aren't bad. All those things are really good. But um, sometimes in, in the tournament, if a team gets hot, um, you know, that's, that's really – and, and just sort of creates havoc. Uh, that's a team that could, could take Tennessee down. That's exactly what Auburn is, right? Auburn's a team – that if they come out and they hit their shots and, you know, they, they feed off of that, they're probably going to win, right? I mean, that's just how it's going to work. But there's times they come out and they don't hit shots, and that's when they're going to lose. Um, you know, and for Auburn, they're not going to be able to go throughout the entire tournament hitting, you know, a ton of shots. Like, they're going to have a game where they're not going to shoot well and they're going to lose. That's just what's going to happen. Um, but if Tennessee runs into a team like that, you know, a team with really high energy – a team that's, you know, just electric up and down the court, um, you know, then they're, they're kind of a lot like Virginia in that way. Virginia is a great team, um, and they're the one seed, which is funny that they're both in this bracket, but both teams play, you know, really good defense most of the time, and they just suffocate you with sort of their scheme and how well they run it, you know, and the, the guys they have in, on the court that are really experienced, um, you know, but if things sort of, 
fall apart in that sense. That's how Virginia got beat last year, and it sort of worries me about Tennessee going through. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. It absolutely does, and that's – I kind of wanted to make a similar point. Like, Rick Barnes has got a ton of credit this year. Every time we play a nationally televised game, they talk about how – like, Tennessee doesn't have any four-star players. Tennessee doesn't have any top 100 ESPN recruits on the team. And Rick Barnes has turned them into a into a, a number two seed. Like, could have if they, if they would have won today, I think they would have got a one seed. Um, but a team that's in an argument for a one seed, with their highest-rated player being Eves Pons, who I think played, like, seven minutes total this weekend. And he deserves all the credit in the world for that. Like, the, the player development that that program has – has been able to produce over the last three or four years is outstanding. When you turn Grant Williams from a guy who barely had any offers to the two-time SEC player of the year, Admiral Schofield was a fat power forward, and now he's you know a potential NBA small forward out there shooting 40% from three. It's really a credit to the coaching staff for what they've done. But when it comes to a, a tournament situation, at, at some point you need – superstars and I don't mean superstars like Grant Williams Grant Williams is a superstar but the guy's gonna go get you a bucket consistently yeah the the way that Tennessee is good is that they run the sets Rick Barnes wants them to run they run the same five or six plays over and over again and they work fantastic they play great team defense most of the time until you play Auburn and they forget that Auburn's going to shoot 43s and they just don't cover three point you know three point shooters but when the play breaks down they, at some point, you need a guy, like you said, that's going to go get a bucket. And they have that guy. His name is Jordan Bone. The problem is Jordan Bone, about, you know, I would say like 25% of the time, he forgets how good he is. He goes back to being a three-star out of, out of you know, what do you go to Innsworth in Nashville, who didn't have any SEC offers until Tennessee came in at the last minute. He goes back into that mode and – you can tell, you can see it, almost see it in his face, how hard Rick Barnes has ridden him and how hard Rick Barnes has pushed him to become the player that he is. But the way he got there was Rick Barnes was saying, you have to do this, this, and this on every possession if you're going to be good. And now Jordan Bone is to the point where he doesn't have to do every single one of those things. He can just go get a bucket. He can get to the rim on anybody at any time. And there's four or five times every game where he'll do that. He'll put his head down. He'll go by the first defender, and he'll finish a tough layup over whoever your rim protector is. But it's like he forgets that he can do that, or he's still, you know, he's reverting back to what he was two years ago, and he just pounds the ball and tries to go into their offensive sets. If he can come out of that and he can get the ball, push in transition, take his open shots when he's got them, get to the rim, create stuff when things are going poorly, then I firmly believe Tennessee can make the Final Four. And you saw a little bit, of, a little bit of that against Kentucky, but today, and we were recording on Sunday, obviously against Auburn. There was a couple of times when we, you know, Tennessee started making a little comeback in the second half. Bone put the ball on the floor, got to the rim, made a layup, and then there was also a couple of times where he put the ball on the floor, beat his man off the dribble, got halfway to the rim, and literally put the brakes on, turned around, and dribbled back out to the top of the key and reset. That's what I don't want to see. I don't want to see this team get into their, like, into the lull, into the, okay, we need to pound the rock, we need to, you know, run four off-ball screens before we can take a shot. That stuff works great 
when the game is going in your favor, when you're controlling the game. When another team is just raining threes from NBA distance and shooting like Auburn was shooting today, it, you just got to gotta break out of that. You know, they've got to have Jordan Bone be confident, and they've got to feed Grant Williams the ball. There's no excuse for Grant Williams having three shots in the first half against Auburn today. He had three shots. He's the two-time SEC player of the year. I don't know who you blame that on. I don't know if you blame Grant for not demanding the ball. I don't know if you blame his teammates for not giving it to him. That can't happen. So those are the two things that if you get Grant Williams being the SEC player of the year, scoring 25 points a game, and you get confident Jordan Bone, I think this team can go to the Final Four. I don't believe that you're going to get that for five consecutive games, so I don't think they're going to make the Final Four. But I think that's, you know, maybe that's not exactly what you were saying, but that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly right. Usually the team that wins this tournament is a super athletic group of guys that sync up. I mean, that's that's – Right. I mean, there's a bunch, there's a couple teams here that are stupid athletic, and the team that's going to win is going to be the group of guys that are the most synced up at, you know, at this time of year. Right. And so, like, you look at a team like Duke, right? Duke's the number one overall seed. They've got Zion, which, who's the best player in the country, um, who's just stupid athletic. Um, but you also got RJ Barrett, who is, can go get you a bucket at any time. They've got a great point guard, um, you know, and, and they've got Reddish. Um, who has been underperforming, but he's still, um, you know, can win a game, honestly. You know, and, and you look at North Carolina, right? North Carolina, um, they've got a superstar point guard in Kobe White who is as good as Jordan Bone, if not better, right? Um, right. Luke, Luke May is their Grant Williams. He's probably not as good as Grant Williams, but he fits his the role in the offense perfectly. Like he's a machine. He's he's going to do what is needed from him in that game, right? Um, and they have Cam Johnson, who is honestly lights out. That guy shoots the basketball really, really, really well. Um, has he has he been at North Carolina for ten years, or was the 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 other guy that looked just like him that was there before a different guy? Justin Jackson is, that, is that Justin him? Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Don't they look exactly the same? They do. Like eight I, feet I tall agree. And shoot threes. <laughs> I agree. Um, and North Carolina has Nasir Little, who was a McDonald's All American, as was Garrison Brooks, who was a McDonald's All American. Who, you know, those guys for the team that's going to win the national championship, like those guys, got to step up. You know, um, but all this to say, sort of perfect segue into the team that I've chosen to win the national championship is North Carolina. Um, you know, I, I think Duke is – Duke's a great team, especially with Zion, and I could absolutely see them there in, in the finals. And I and I honestly, you know, will we'll probably – I haven't filled out a bracket yet, but I'll probably have them there as well. I mean, it's just hard to argue with their resume with having Zion on the floor and watching those games and how good he's been, you know. Um but when I look at North Carolina and sort of the pace they play with, um, I don't think they really are in trouble of getting tripped up by a lesser team um, just because of how athletic they are, but how composed they are with having Luke May on the floor um, and having some senior leadership there that can sort of, you know, they're not going to let things get too haywire, right? Um, so I, I think they'll take care of business. And when they do face a team uh, – or like. They don't need to play great defense to win. You know, they they can score. They can go out. They've got a bunch of guys that can go out and get buckets. Um, and so they're going to have a tough draw facing Kentucky if Kentucky gets there. 
Um, but I think with the pace they play, with their athleticism, and with how good they've been, um, especially lately, I know they lost to Duke, but that was a great game. Um, you know, I, I think they have a great shot to get to and win the national championship. Um, you know, I, like I said, I think Duke obviously has a great chance. I think Kentucky has a great chance. I, I know that that you as a Tennessee fan don't want to hear that, but like if if Tennessee play Kentucky and they both are playing their absolute best, Kentucky may win by double digits. Um, I don't know if that's true because I think you might have saw that on Saturday and Tennessee pulled it out. I mean, I think Kentucky is more talented than Tennessee right. is. Yeah, I guess that's a better way to say it. Um, on and, paper anyway, but right. I mean, if you just match them up position by position, I would take Tennessee's guys – you know, at almost every spot. Except I mean, the maybe, honest, the, maybe Keldon Johnson over Lamonte Turner, but you know, I think the honest truth is, like, you look at the guys running off the running off the bitch for Kentucky. They've got you know these McDonald's All American young guys running off the bench when Tennessee's got Fulkerson off the bench. You know, what I mean, like, it's that's the biggest problem. And yeah. and so the if big, those guys come in and and they've gotten a lot better, you know, just because it's. They're growing, right? And they're learning and they're getting better. So they're not freshmen anymore. They're sophomores now. <laughs> exactly. So if you, you you get those guys coming in playing meaningful mis- minutes and contributing, you know, there's no step off from the previous guys. I mean, that's where their advantage is. You know, I've Tennessee's starting five is solid, right? But what what happens if um, Alexander gets in foul trouble early? You know, like he he did in the Kentucky game, and and they were able to pull it out. Um, but you know, th- could they do that again? You, you just have a drop off there. So um, you've, you've touched on the biggest. I mean, this is a Tennessee Vols basketball podcast now at this point. But <laughs> <laughs> you've touched on my biggest worry with the Vols, and I think we first of all, we, if we're going to talk this much UT Vols, we've got to give Admiral Schofield some love. I mean. You talk about a guy that can go get a bucket. Theoretically, Admiral's a guy that can go get you a bucket, except for days like today when he just doesn't show up. Um, but I think Tennessee's biggest biggest Achilles heel in this tournament is that they really are a six-man rotation at this point. I mean, it's the starting five plus Jordan Bowden. And you can every once in a while you can get some production out of John Fulkerson. He comes in, he creates havoc, he can get rebounds, block shots, that sort of thing. But he's just not... It's going to sound bad, but he's just not that good, you know? Like, he's big and he's active, but he's just not that good. Like, he doesn't have the he doesn't have the hand-eye coordination. He doesn't have good hands. He can't shoot. So, at the end of the day, you're stuck with a six-man rotation. And teams can win. You can win a national title with six guys, but your margin for error is so fine that, yeah. that you know, it's going to be tough. And I think that your North Carolina comparison is apt, but Kobe, the difference is that Kobe White – thinks he's the best player on the floor. And he's going to go, you know, when the play breaks down, he's going to go get a bucket. Whereas Tennessee doesn't have a guy that's going to do that every single right. time. So Yeah, that superstar that that, mindset, yeah, exactly. right? Exactly. And I think that that Kentucky-North Carolina game in the Elite Eight is going to be a fantastic game because I think either one of those teams could win the national championship. And you don't often get games like that before the Final Four. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I know a previous spot I said Virginia may win the national championship. They may still, but after, you know, reflecting a little more, um, gosh, and, and seeing them, them go down the ACC tournament, I just, I, I am re- continually reminded of how sort of, how fine the margin is for them. Um, you know, I just, I, I'm worried that if things start to go haywire, how do they respond? 
Um, you know, so, and, and, you know, who's, who's going to go get the bucket for them? Like their, their best players are Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome, right. And Hunter. Right. Um, but like Guy and, and Jerome are the, the, the leaders and, and they're probably going to take the shot and like, they're just not superior athletically. Right. I mean, they're great players, but, um, I don't know. After reflecting, I'm going to pencil in North Carolina as my champion of 2019. Thoughts on that? And who do you have in the championship slot? I think that's a very valid pick. Um, and this is coming from a place of bias. And before you start tweeting at me, let me finish talking because this is not going where you think it's going. Um, I think that North Carolina would, if I put odds on it, I would probably take North Carolina third, maybe fourth to win the title, which based on how the bracket breaks down could easily happen. What I think is not advantageous to them is that they have to play Kentucky in the Elite Eight. That's what scares me. And when Kentucky plays the way Kentucky can play, they're just so, they're so deep in talent like you were talking about. And if their guards are making their threes, if P.J. Washington shows up, and if, if Travis Reed, Reed Travis, can stay out of foul trouble, that's a tough team. I'm taking Kentucky to beat North Carolina make the Final Four. And I hate to do this. I really don't want to do this. I've tried so hard not to do this, but I'm taking Duke to win the whole thing. Because you just look at the way their bracket breaks down, and who in that bracket could you see beating Duke if Zion stays healthy? Besides the Belmont Bruins? I've got them beating Belmont in the Elite Eight. I don't know. You know, this isn't official yet, but there's nobody in that bracket. LSU is in shambles. That's the soft three seed. All right. LSU got got beat by Florida on Friday. Their coach is suspended. Half of their roster knows that they're going to get kicked out of school for cheating. All of these wins are going to be vacated, you know, really, really soon, like before next season starts. That team, they'll be lucky to beat Yale. All right. Belmont's beating them. Michigan State, they won the big game. You won't pick Yale in that game. I might. I might. I didn't on my first, you know, run through here, but I might. Michigan State as the two seed, they won the Big Ten. They also lost to Indiana twice. Like, how do you lose to Indiana twice? I lo- I'm sorry. I lost all respect for you when Indiana swept you. You know, they beat you at home. Indiana's terrible. Michigan State, soft two seed. Four and five seeds, Virginia Tech and Mississippi State. They're fine, you know. Mississippi State could get hot. Quindary Witherspoon's really good. This sounds like SEC bias because it probably is because that's who I've watched the most, but they're good. But they're not going to be Duke, you know? So then you get to the Final Four, and the other bracket they're matched up with, you got Gonzaga as the one seed. Uh, I'm not worried about Gonzaga. You know, Texas Tech, Michigan. I just – I feel like that unless Zion gets hurt, they're making the championship game unless something, you know, goes tragically wrong. Yeah. So then they get there, and if I'm that yeah. confident about them getting to the championship game, that's who I'm going to pick, you know? I, right. I hate to do it because everyone's going to do it, but I think – I think they're the favorites. Sure, yeah. I mean, I'm going to have them go into the championship just for all those reasons you just said. Um, UNC round four. Yeah, I mean, as, as I glance over the bracket initially, that's that's what I'm thinking. I, I do sort of have an issue with Michigan State being the two in Duke's bracket just from the sense that Gonzaga is the fourth one seed. I mean, they're the, they're, they're the fourth seed in this, you know, bracket, right? And And – if you look at Michigan State, they won the Big Ten Championship. They beat Michigan. And people were talking about Michigan State actually having that fourth one seed, right? It was sort of 
oh, if Tennessee wins, they could have it. If Michigan State wins, they could have it. Michigan State did win. Not only did they not give them the one seed, but they did. They put them in the bracket with Duke. I mean, like, why is why is Michigan State not in Gonzaga's bracket there? I, I, I just I don't understand. I, I look at Gonzaga's bracket, and I mean, what what team? out of that bracket, you know, is, is as scary as Michigan state, or, I mean, I don't know. I just, I've got a problem with how easy Gonzaga's bracket seems from, you know, the outside looking in. It's, it is weird the way they break this down because, and like I said, this may not be true. This is an informal podcast. I saw a tweet that said Tennessee on the, in the committee's list one through 68, Tennessee was the fifth team. So that would be the first two seed. So, so why theory, were they not in Gonzaga's bracket? Because they they favor geography over matching up the seeds. So Gonzaga's in the West. So if Tennessee were to be the two seed in Gonzaga's bracket, that Elite Eight game would be in I think Los Angeles or San Jose or somewhere you know out west. Whereas Anaheim. if yeah Anaheim, there you go. If Tennessee makes the Elite Eight in their current bracket, that game's in Louisville. So. And as a Tennessee fan, I would rather play a slightly better team at a venue where I can go to it as opposed to playing Gonzaga, who I think is not as good as Virginia. But there's not going to be any Tennessee fans there. If Tennessee gets the Elite Eight against Virginia, there will be tens of thousands of Vols fans in Louisville. And I think the benefit you get from that outweighs getting to play the slightly worse team. And I think that's why the committee did it. Now, why they gave Michigan... Gonzaga and Michigan State Duke, I have no idea because that's where the line is for me. Like, it's not, yeah, maybe Michigan State will get to play a little closer to home. I would still rather play Gonzaga than Duke. You know, I don't care how far I have to travel for that one. You know, right. that's, yeah. So that's yeah. a head scratcher to me. But sure. it, I, it looks to me, based on this bracket, that the top six teams were the, the one seeds as they are than Tennessee and Kentucky. And it looks like they had Michigan and Michigan State as a step below. I, maybe that's. Maybe that's not accurate, but the way they broke the bracket down, that's what it looks like to me. They sent Michigan out to Anaheim, and they put Michigan State in Duke's bracket. So it seems like the, they had a pretty clear-cut top six. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, who knows why they did what they did after that. Yeah. I can't tell you. Um, so looking at a dark horse for this bracket, it's, you know, a team that's under the radar. So I would say is a three-seat or less, you know, but sure. it's not necessarily a Cinderella a team that could make a run and possibly win the championship. Um, I was searching through and, and looking, um, you know, and, and a couple teams uh, popped out at me um, that I thought could could maybe uh, make a run um, as sort of a middle seed there. And, and the team that I sort of settled on is, is a team that I think could, you know, probably very low possibility, but maybe win the whole thing is Florida State. Um Florida State's a four seed. They're in that Gonzaga bracket, which helps them out a lot. Uh, so they have an easier path. So they play Vermont and then Marquette or Murray State, and, and Marquette has not been good, as good lately. Um, and then they'll have Gonzaga after that. Uh, but Murray, or Florida State runs like 11 guys in and out, right? They don't have – Including two guys who are like eight feet tall. And that can bust it too. I mean, those guys yeah. – I mean, they're a really good team. They're twenty-seven and seven in the ACC. I mean, that's that's no small feat. Um, you know, they beat Virginia pretty handily there, and and 
Um, you know, I, I think if if they can get rolling, which they're obviously playing good basketball right now, um, they'll they'll meet Duke in the in the Final Four. Um, you know, I could not really? saying it will you happen. Beat Gonzaga. All the Gonzaga hate from you. Explain your Gonzaga hate because we agree. I think that they're the fourth one seed. But yes. as a Tennessee fan, I watched them play, and this was you know three months ago. That's a good team, and they've got at least one lottery pick, maybe two. That's a really good team. Mark Few's a good coach. Right. I think you're hating a little too much on Gonzaga. So I agree with you that Florida State's a good team, but I'm taking Gonzaga in that game. I'll I'll probably end up taking Gonzaga in that game as well, just from the simple fact of you looking. You look a couple of years ago when they went and faced North Carolina in the national championship game and lost. They had a very sure. similar formula of guys in that game. They had a lottery pick, right? They And so I, I think that, um, you know, the roles they have their players in are, are similar sort of to that team. They resemble each other a little bit. Um, and and they're, they beat Duke with Zion. I mean, I know it was early, um, but they still they, – has anybody else done that besides Syracuse? Um, you know, it's beat him in Durham, but other than that, no. Yeah. So Jack White in that game, (laughs) Syracuse and, um, Gonzaga could, could play in round two, which is kind of funny when you think about it. (laughs) Um, so Gonzaga could absolutely make a run. Like, I I don't want to discount them at all because they're a great team. Um, I haven't watched them play really all year because they're out West and they don't play, any teams once conference champions or for once conferences get started and I don't watch a ton of college basketball until football's over. So haven't seen them play a ton. Um, but there's a reason there why they were one seed. They've only lost three games all year. Um, but you know, the fact that they were able to be upset in the WAC conference championship, um, you know, allowing St. Mary's to steal Lipcomb, Lipscomb's bid is what they did. Yeah. How, what if it was the Belmont Lipscomb, Matchup in the 11th. Oh my gosh, how incredible would that be? It would be fantastic. The Battle of the Boulevard, or whatever they call it. Yeah, Battle of the Boulevard. Too bad that St. Mary's had to go steal that. Um, But a little chink in Gonzaga's armor there. So, you know, I have no doubt they're going to be good and and they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Um, But, you know, I, I think Florida State's really good too. So, I don't know. Well, let me give you my dark horse. So, what are the parameters? It's got to be greater than a greater than a three seed potential to make the final four or win the national championship, right? I'd say a it could be it can be a three seed. I'd say that like a three, not very often is a three win the national championship. So, I'd say anywhere from like a three to a seven, right, or three to an eight. Sure. Okay. So. I don't know if I've made my position clear on this, but I don't think there's very many good teams in college basketball this year. I think there's six to eight good teams. Um, so out, I think the national championship is going to come from one of those six to eight teams. That being said, a lower-seeded team that jumps out to me that could really make a run, I honestly think Belmont's going to make the Sweet 16, and I think that they could beat Michigan State and make the Elite Eight. That you know They could also lose to Temple, so I'm not going to give you that one. We've talked a lot of Belmont. Yeah. This is a Belmont podcast. I'm not going to give you that one. Uh, the one I am going to give you is a team who was, I believe, preseason top five, was definitely ranked in the top ten for the majority of the first part of the season. They had kind of a disappointing conference conference record, but they made a deep run last year, and they brought back all of their players, five returning starters, and that's the Nevada Wolfpack. And they've Ooh. got their seven seed. They've got Florida in the first round. Florida's fraudulent. Don't worry about Florida. Florida's not going to win the <laughs> tournament. 
How is that guy from Florida not fouled on that play, by the way? Well, because the SEC wanted Bruce Pearl to win win the SEC championship (laughs) because they wanted to come back in two years and have to vacate that title, too. They already have to vacate the regular season title away from LSU. They just wanted to make it, you know, a a fit little set there. Yeah, the double dip. They wanted to vacate them both, I guess. I don't know. But Florida sneaks into the tournament anyway. They're going to get beat by Nevada. Then Nevada's two seed is Michigan, who is good, but you know what? I'm not scared of Michigan. I'm not scared of Michigan. I'm not scared of Texas Tech, who's the three seed in that bracket. So I could see a path, a pretty easy path, for Nevada to make the Elite Eight against Gonzaga. And once you get there, anything can happen. You know, I would take Gonzaga to win that game. I think Gonzaga is a good team. But Nevada's got the experience. They had a disappointing year. But you've got a group of guys who just – did they make the Final Four last year? They go out in the Elite Eight. I don't remember. I don't have it in front of me. I believe they were Elite Eight. But I may be they very wrong. They got beat by Loyola, didn't they? I, I feel your pain, Nevada. <laughs> but you've got the tournament experience. you got the, the twins. Was it Caleb and Cody Martin, who were both probably NBA players? I mean, I could definitely see them – I could definitely see them getting the Elite Eight. And then if you know if Gonzaga stubs their toe against Florida State or if Gonzaga has a bad game, they could be in the Final Four. So that's that's a lower-seeded team who I think, first of all, is good. Second of all, has a pretty clear path to make a deep run. But also, the way this bracket breaks down, any any of these lower-seeded teams could get hot you know, and make a run. We just don't know. And neither you nor I know enough about teams like Arizona State or Vermont, or Iowa State even. We don't watch a ton of those teams play, so that's part of the fun of the tournament is just tuning in and seeing who's underseated because we really don't know. You know, It, it could be anybody. Could be anybody. Could be anybody. Um, could be the Belmont Bruins. Couldn't be Lipscomb because they got the shaft. Mm-hmm. Um, so, lastly, I mean, we're an hour in here, and we're still in the NCAA. But, well, it's um, the bracket pod. Yeah, it's, it's the bracket pod. So... Cinderella, okay, a team ranked lower than 10, I'd say, that could okay. make it to a Sweet 16, maybe Elite Eight. Um, so I, w- I was scanning here as well and, and looking for a team, you know, that, that I think has a favorable draw in round one, could make an upset and, and then sort of continue that on. And I settled in the south bracket with UC Irvine. UC Irvine's 30-5. and five. I have not watched him play a game all year, but – Here's what I do know. They've lost five games all season, which is a seems huge like, that feat. seems good. They seems play good. Kansas State, who has one of their in starters out. Yeah. That game's in San Jose. Home game, UC Irvine. Kansas State has one of their starters. He's in the when they showed the little video of them, you know, jumping up and down celebrating that they made it into the tournament, um, or whatever. Um, <laughs> as a team that's twenty five and eight. Yeah, duh, you're gonna make it in. Um, Congratulations! You get to go to San Jose for your first game to play an away game. Good job, guys. They uh, well, their starters had a boot on his foot, so I don't know. I'm Not just good. I'm saying that um, I'm saying UC Irvine has a chance here. If they win, they'll play Oregon or Wisconsin, which you know they, they've. I think I'd say they got a chance there, and then you know they'll play maybe Virginia, maybe not. If Gardner Webb upsets them, you know you, you just <laughs> never know. Um, so. Mark that down as UC Irvine as my Cinderella team, making it gotta, at least to the Sweet 16. Why you got to troll Virginia like that? Come on, man. <laughs> Come on. I uh, I love that pick. 
I was surprised Oregon made the tournament. I didn't think they had a very good year. They have Manute. They won. Kid. They won the. They won the conference tournament. Oh, did tournament. they? Did they? Well, there you go. They the beat Pac- Washington. Look at, look at the Pac-12 getting three teams in after they thought they were only going to get one. Um, they've got Manute Bowles kid who got hurt. I think he was a five star. Bowl He's Bowl. Like yeah, Bowl Bowl. He's <laughs> huge, but <laughs> shockingly, a guy who's eight feet tall hurt his foot or what? You know, it happens. Is his so, name actually? They just name his last name, his first name too. His name is Bull Bull. That's what his name is. <laughs> I don't. I've never seen him play. I don't know. He got hurt in like the second game of the year. But that's his name. He's Manute Bull's kid. I think he's legitimately <laughs> Bull Bull. I don't know. It's going to be tough to not play with Bull Bull. I don't know how they, what they're going to do. But I'm, I've got the bracket odds. I've got the odds pulled up for the first round. And I wanted to mention this, so I'm glad you picked you picked Irvine because. One of the things that jumped out at me scrolling through these odds is that that Oregon-Wisconsin game, 12-5, is a straight pick. That's an even line. Oregon versus Wisconsin. And I thought Wisconsin was good. Like, I – aren't they – don't they have, like, you know, like seven white guys who can all shoot threes and play good defense? Isn't that Wisconsin's thing, or was that last year? It's kind of like an extended version of their football team. It's all, like – Kind of short, but really strong white guys. <laughs> we're really good in high school playing against no one. And so, you know, maybe Oregon beats Wisconsin. And I don't think Oregon's good. So if Oregon beats Wisconsin and you, Irvine beats Kansas State, that's a good pick is what I'm saying. I, this is a long-winded way of saying that's a good pick. I appreciate you picking UC Irvine. I'm going to pick because you dared me to and you said I wouldn't do it. I'm taking Yale, 14 seed. Wow. To beat, to beat UCLA. Because I'm really mad that UCLA won the SEC regular season title and then basically fired their coach the day after. It's ridiculous. What's the line on that game? Do you have it pulled up? Uh, let me see if I can find it. Okay. Talk for a second. I'll yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like you said, Will Wade gets fired or suspended or what exactly on leave? Paid um, leave, I think. I think so his his boss said. Hey Will, we want to back you up, but you need to tell us what happened. And Will Wade said, "I'm not telling you nothing," and hung up the phone. Which is but not I a good still thing want to coach. Say. I'll see you on not Monday. A, not a good thing to say to your boss. And I found the line: LSU is eight point favorites in that game, which seems like a really skinny line for a three fourteen game. I'm just saying. So eight points, eight points can be made exactly. up somewhere. It can. It definitely can. What if the and smart it, kid's going to play? I imagine Yale? so. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the smart kids will play from Yale. Yeah. So like, the, you want to talk about their GPA? What are we? <laughs> the smart kid from LSU that was the, oh, the, the product the, of the. Uh, <laughs> the, guy, the, the <laughs> that was the product of the voicemail, the, yes. the wiretap. Yes. Yeah, he's gonna play because they've decided that they're already vacating all of these games anyway. <laughs> so you might as well play everybody. May as well. May as well. He's, okay. He's, um, do you have anything else to add on, on this bracket? No, no. Man, I, um, I can't wait over the next three days just to pour over this and then have my national champion get knocked out in round two. <laughs> That's why I am filling out one bracket. I filled it out right now as we were potting, and we are putting up a informal U.S. tournament challenge. It will be posted by tomorrow morning. It will go up either before or at the same time as this pod post. So if you're listening to this, We'll tweet out a link. It'll be on ESPN under Informal US or something similar. Go fill out a bracket, play our bracket challenge. If you win, we will shout you out on the podcast, but we can't give you anything else because we don't have any ad revenue to buy any prizes. But play with us. This is the only bracket I'm filling out. 
is the one right now. That way, my heart can't be broken too bad unless Tennessee gets beat by the toothpaste queens. Where, where are you, me on these? We need you right now. Um, I mean, we could just start reading ads and see if checks roll. I think we <laughs> talked about that last year, but I don't think it'll work. All right. Um, let's transition um, to some smooth soccer. Tra- because it's a smooth transition. I got soccer thoughts this week, boys. Yeah, I'm sure you do. So the, the world-renowned Premier League portion of this podcast is now in world full famous. The world famous. So... I imagine the game that you will want to speak about um, is a Swansea-Manchester City game that took place on Saturday. The floor is yours. Okay, so first of all, I will continue with a three-week-long tradition about politely correcting you about soccer things. This was not a Premier League game. This was an FA Cup game. Which what is the FA Cup? <laughs> <laughs> the FA Cup is a tournament that they play at the same time that the league is going on that is and the champions league (laughs) there's four competitions that happen at the same time that's basically like if the if it was it's the uh, nfl the aaf and the (laughs) xfl all played each other but they all played their own games too that's exactly what it's like i'll explain it to you like this is stupid so it would be like if major league baseball had a tournament that happened concurrently with the regular season and every professional baseball team every affiliated baseball team got to play in this tournament so from the major leagues all the way down to rookie ball gets to play that's what the fa cup is i'd be in for that it's cool it's great and they start off with like the big teams don't come in until like the second or third round i think so they let the little guys knock each other out but you get awesome games like we had on saturday which is i think a quarterfinal where swansea who's in the second division my team my swansea swans got relegated last year it was a sad day for everybody involved they're mid-table in the championship. They're not getting promoted this year. It's another sad day. But they're in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup. They've made it all the way to where they're in the last eight of this tournament that starts out with hundreds of teams. And they're playing Manchester City, who's the best team in the world. They're getting them at home. I don't know why. I don't understand why this <laughs> happens. I don't know. I can't tell you. I think they flip a coin. I don't know. If you're I'm a Swansea team. fan, you got to be pumped for that. Pumped? You I know, was that's pumped. Like I was, that's I was like the, uh, it's like the Yankees. Pumped. It's like the Red Sox coming and playing in Altoona. Well, it's not exactly like that because Swansea was in the Premier League last year, but I, I hear your point, okay? You got to be pumped. I was pumped. I bought ESPN Plus just to watch this game, okay? so There's got to be a free trial deal, right? Yeah, but, you know, whatever. I just wanted to <laughs> all in. I thought we were going to beat Manchester City, so I was going to need to watch the game next week too. It didn't work out. Um, so Swansea comes out, and when normally when teams play Manchester City – they take all 11 of their guys and basically like put them in their own penalty box and just like set up a literal wall there and say, okay, take as many shots as you want. You're not scoring. Like we're not, as soon as we get the ball, we're just going to hoof it as long as we can. You go run it down. We'll be waiting when you come back. Like we're going <laughs> to play for, play for nil nil basically when you're playing a team that's that much better than you. Swansea does not do this. Swansea's like, oh, yeah, we're Swansea. We're great. We're coming out. We're going to press high up the field. As soon as they get the ball, we're running at them. We're, you know, it's basically the equivalent of running a full-court press in basketball. So for, like, the first five minutes, they're doing this. It doesn't work super great. Um, (laughs) We get the ball back a couple of times, immediately turn it over, and Manchester City goes on breaks. The Swansea goalkeeper makes a couple of good saves, and Manchester City trips over their own feet a couple of times to keep it even. About the 10-minute mark, we get 
Swansea gets a penalty. I told you I'm a wee guy. I was there. I was in Wales helping out. We get a penalty. One of one of Manchester City's defenders was just you know viciously took our guy down in the box. It was a dirty tackle. We oh, get a penalty. Sure. We score one to nothing. I'm jumping up and down in my apartment. I'm waking up the neighbors. You know, <laughs> this was great. It's fantastic. I couldn't believe it. Not only that, we come in about 15 minutes of game time later, score again, two to two nil. Two, Swansea's up two, two nil. nil on the pitch. I, I am talking all manner of junk to our Manchester City fan. I mean, just firing texts off. Come to find out he doesn't have ESPN Plus, so he's not even watching the game, but he's getting the play-by-play for me, buddy. Let me tell you, I'm letting him hear it. <laughs> this probably was a mistake. It was probably a mistake to do that. Second half. So, I mean, at this point, yeah, as, yeah. As, a, as a non-soccer fan, I would imagine you would take the strategy that was aforementioned and – just stack everybody in the boxes. You're like, you're not scoring. We're already up by two. Is that what they did? Exactly. That's what they should have done. And after the game, (laughs) after the game, they, um, they interviewed one of the players and he said his, you know, I I can't do the Welsh accent. I think he was French anyway. So it's like a French person that works in Wales and has just a really weird accent. I'm not even going to try it. He basically said that that like, it's like, that's what you wanted us to do. You wanted us to, you know, stack everybody in the box, but that's not what we do. We were going to go out and try to get a third goal. That's all well and good. Whatever, fine. It doesn't work. City scores pretty quickly um, to make it two to one. Legitimate goal. This one was a legitimate goal. Put a finger in that. That was the only legitimate goal City scored. Um, so it's two one. City's got all the possession after the first goal. Swansea does kind of bunker in and just try to see the game out. Get two one. Worst case scenario, if it's two to two, you go into extra time. Maybe you can get it to penalty kicks, and then who knows what's going to happen. So for the goal that City scored to tie the game, it was a penalty kick. It was a penalty kick that was given because Cameron Carter-Vickers, who is a U.S. international, plays for Swansea, was called for a penalty in the box where he performed a slide tackle on Raheem Sterling that was technically perfect. He slid, he kicked the ball away, and then as he's following through, he, he takes his legs out, which is allowed. This is like basketball. If you block a guy's shot... You can hit him on the follow-through. That's fine. If you get the ball first, it's not a foul. Sure. They they call the penalty anyway. They like I as referenced earlier, there's no there's no replay in England because England still thinks it's nineteen seventy five, apparently. The city's given the penalty, they come up, they they nail it. Which by the way, the guy actually hit the post on the penalty, then it bounced off our goalkeeper's back and into the net, which was just way worse. Like why did it have to be like that? Why couldn't you just why couldn't you just score? Why couldn't you just score? Uh, so it's two to two. Their third goal, which came came with I think two minutes left, maybe I think we're in the 88th minute. Oh no! Uh, I don't know if it was a set piece or just a cross. Came into the box. Uh, Sergio Aguero, who is may might be the all time Premier League leading scorer. He's up there. He's one of the best strikers in the Premier League. He heads it home. You know, everybody's crying in Swansea. They play it back. He's offside by a good yard. I mean, a full yard offside. That goal also should have oh, counted. No. But, but again, a, are we in the conspiracy closet already? No, oh, this is not a conspiracy. I'm telling you facts. He's a full yard offside. They didn't call it. Swansea loses three to two. After the game, they interview Pep Guardiola, who's City's manager, one of the best managers in the league, or one of the best managers in the world. He won. I think he won a couple of Champions Leagues with Barcelona. Whatever. This is not why you come here to get actual analysis. You get raw emotion. They they interview City's manager. His exact quote. I could pull it up, but I'm just going to – this is informal. I'm going to give you the informal quote. He said, every league in the world has VAR, which is what they call replay over there. He said, every league in the world has VAR except in England. 
I hate winning like that. I'm sorry. And then he left the podium. Like, how Swansea is a tiny club in Wales who gets relegated, who's got this opportunity to go to the FA Cup semifinal, whatever that means, and you get absolutely robbed by the biggest team in the world, the biggest club in the country. And there's no VAR because, I don't know, I can't tell you why. I don't know why there's not. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. I'm mad. And now I've got it off my chest. The Saudis went again. Exactly. Yeah. Way to go. Way to go, United Arab Emirates. Hope you're happy. <laughs> I, hope you, I hope you gave that referee's family a good Christmas dinner or whatever. I don't know how this works. I'm, I was mad about it. And then, but the good news is right after that game, Tennessee beat Kentucky. <laughs> so it was great. You know, the, the day was not a total loss. And then today happened and, it, you know, whatever. If you happen to be a Manchester City fan and would like to rebuttal, please call us on our line and leave a voicemail and we will absolutely play it. Please, please call in and defend your, defend your cheating boys. Please call in and defend your boys. Do you have any other soccer news since we last spoke? No, it was a pretty like light week in the actual Premier League because the FA Cup was going on. Uh, Liverpool did pick up three points in the game they played. I can't pull it up now. I think they played Fulham today. Um, obviously, Manchester City didn't play a league game today because they were busy robbing Swansea in the FA Cup on Saturday. Um, so Liverpool pulls back into the lead, pulls back to the top of the table with seventy six points, but City has a game in hand, so they take they really aren't you know whatever they're they're ahead, but not a lot was going on in the league this week. I think next week is an international break. Maybe we can talk some U.S. men's national team. We've got a couple of friendlies next week. I would love to talk about that. That'll be great. So no Premier League next week. Um, so Premier League will be back on the pod in two weeks. <laughs> Soccer is so week. weird, man. Two-week break. We got international break next week. We're really diving into Greg Berhalter's first full squad call-up for the March friendlies. Speaking of the Euros, Rory won the players this week. Rory he did. McElroy finally breaks through, wins the Players' Championship, which the PGA Tour has tried to pawn off on us as the fifth major, which is not a real thing, right? There's four majors. There's always been four majors. Players can't just say it's a fifth major and it be a fifth major. It's that has the largest purse because, on – no. Well, yeah, but because they don't let amateurs in, so it's got to be a major, right? Well, am, majors let amateurs in. I know. Well, this one doesn't. I didn't know that until today, by the way, that the Players' Championship was the only one that doesn't let amateurs in. I didn't, I didn't know, know that, that either. Uh, I didn't know that until just know now. Thing. No amateurs, no club pros, apparently. That's why it's called the Players. So that makes sense, right? The Players uh, of the PGA you, Tour. Uh, wow, you learn something new every day. That, that's why, that's why you tune in to Informal Podcasts, which we just say things we hear on TV. Knowledge um, that is not in any way fact checked. <laughs> so listen, listen to McElroy's last six tournament finishes. Okay, T four, T five, T four, second. So that's four straight top fives. Then he finished T six last week at the Honda, um, and then he wins this week. So McElroy is wins this tournament, which he's been so close all year long. And it's sort of one of those things, like, if you're so close and you never win, it could start to sort of get to you, right? You can sort of start thinking, like, man, am I going to win? Do you start pressing? Do you start, you know, making stupid mistakes? Um, But, no, I mean, I I thought it was funny on 
uh, after he let's see he he birdied 16, which is a par five, to get to 16 under, which was a score he won at. Um, then of course you had that 17 green, which is man, the, they put that pin location all the way on the right on Sunday, and it's sort of like hey. If you want to make birdie, you got to go at this um, or else just hit it in the center, right? Except for Pepperell and Johnny Vegas made like combined 180 <laughs> feet of putts to birdie. Johnny 17. Vegas drilled a 72-footer, and it was good the whole way, man. Like it was dead center the whole way. He tracked it, he followed it, and he got it out of the cup. It was the best putt I've ever seen. It was incredible. Speaking right, of that's, that's an iconic pin position. Speaking of 17, did you see on, um, I guess it was yesterday, Tiger was playing with Kevin Na, and Kevin Na walked in that putt, and then Tiger did yeah. the same thing. Like when I was Tiger, looking, uh, I was, I'm on Twitter right now looking for the video, because I was going to bring it up. It's fantastic. Since when does Tiger have personality? Right, like, 10 years ago, does Tiger do that? I mean, no. that's, oh man, I love golf. Um, so... <laughs> So, yeah, McElroy wins. Um, Furyk, man, Furyk put up a dynamite effort. I mean, that, that guy is, you know, was the Ryder Cup captain in 2018. Um, now he's back in the thick of it playing with these guys. I think he had a top 10 last week at the Honda. But, um, man, this game, he's 48, I think, um, 49 maybe. Um, you know, so I guess he has a little bit left in the tank. He's a guy that obviously is going to have to play perfect to even have a chance. Uh, just based on the athleticism, some of the other guys, but it's cool to see old Furyk back in, back in the saddle and and back hunting wins on the tour. Um, Give him some props for his approach shot on eighteen. He oh was my coming gosh. in. And he, first of all, he pipes the drive right down the middle, and then he plays his little draw, which the water's on the left. His ball is tracking straight for the water, but he sticks it right. What you know? What three feet from the pin to birdie eighteen. Well, we always say winners birdie eighteen, except he didn't because Rory won. But so, <laughs> who part eighteen? Great shot. Um, <laughs> yeah, Rory won who part eighteen. The best part about that shot is as soon as he made contact, he started walking after it. Like oh, he the ball it. wasn't three feet off his club face before he started walking after this shot, um, and it would could not have been more of a dart. I loved every second of that. Um, but yeah, McElroy. He has the most gorgeous swing I think I've ever. I mean, he's just that thing is so powerful. Um, actually, like Fleetwood a lot too. Uh, he, you know, had a more tough day in, in the in the final group. Um, not as tough a day as Rom had, I but say, we need um, to talk about Tommy Fleetwood and John Rom. Kind of choking a little bit. They kind of choked. Can they, we say they that? They did kind of choke. Yeah. I. But here, I'll, I'll say this. So I heard a stat that the leader of a tournament going into the final round has like a 25% chance to win just because yes, you may be a couple strokes ahead, but the odds of you playing as good as you did the day before and the other guys not catching you is just all those guys are so good to, you know, be that much better than the field two days in a row just isn't likely. Um, so well, now Rom, Rom did, I don't know if you saw this, but on, I think it was 11, 11 is a par five and, he goes left into it may have been pine straw or a bunker. Um, and basically it's a par five and you have two options. There's water that runs on the right side of the green down um, to about maybe a hundred yards out in the fairway sort of runs through the fairway. So basically your options are to go 
sort of in, in the fairway before the water or to lay up or you can go over the water um, in like a area fairway about 50 yards long before you get to the green. And so his caddy's like, you have to lay up right because there's a big tree in front of him. He's like, you have to lay up right. And he's like, well, I don't know. I've got a bad life. I go that way. I pretty much saying I want to try to hook it around this tree um, and go at the green or go at the fairway. The caddy's like, no, that's a terrible idea. And Rom's <laughs> like, no, I like it. Hits it in the water, of course. <laughs> and after that, I mean, he just completely unraveled. Um, but I think this is a great opportunity to look ahead to Augusta. Augusta is coming up in a couple weeks. Um, it's when so, the golf season starts for a lot of us. Right. So the 2019 Masters odds right now, the two guys at the top, the fav- the favorites at 10-1 to 1 are DJ and McElroy. So here's the problem I have with DJ in this tournament. This golf course has historically played really well to guys that can move the ball right to left. That's why Bubba and Phil both won. Um, it. Adam Scott hits a right-to-left shot. Tiger, of course, can hit a draw. DJ hits a cut. That's what DJ plays. That's what he, I mean, that's his natural shot is a cut. Um, that's why which I love is why him so much. Team slice. Butter cuts. He's butter cut. He's team butter cut. Um, but he just – he's going to have a time a hard time winning at Augusta. Not to say that he can't do it. He's the only guy ever – actually, no. Tiger's the only guy besides DJ to average – to lead the field in par three, par four, and par five scoring, which is stupid when you think about it. Um, and so he's got so much firepower. He's so good. He can absolutely win it, but the golf course really doesn't set up to him. McIlroy, on the other hand, it's a draw, um, so he's got the shot shape. Um, he's got every every shot in the bag. Um, he's obviously been playing really good lately. Uh, so McIlroy, I think, is a great pick, although he – had the lead, I guess it was in 2011, 2012, um, had a bunch of shots over on the field and completely choked it away. So, I don't know. Never, we'll just have to wait and see. Never won the Masters, right? He's never won the Masters, right? Never won the Masters. Justin um, Rose has been really, really close. Um, he, I think he finished T4 last year, maybe T7 the year before. He's, he's been really close. Uh, he's 12-1. to Tiger's also twelve to one. Is Tiger going to win the Masters? No. Let me. No. I've got the odds pulled up in front of me now. I'm just gonna. I'm not gonna tell you who's gonna win. I'm gonna tell you who's not gonna win. Okay. I love Dustin Johnson. I, for no particular reason. I'm. I'm a very tangential golf fan, but I just like watching him. I. I went to a tournament in St. Louis last year, and I saw. I saw him outdrive Ricky Fowler by roughly, I don't know, a million yards. Like, Ricky hit a, <laughs> hit a ball dead straight right down the middle. And then Dustin Johnson flew his ball past where Ricky's landed and, like, out, outstripped him by 75 yards. It was incredible. Love Dustin Johnson. He's not going to win this tournament. That's a sucker bet. Tiger Woods, 12-1. to That's a sucker bet. He's not going to win this tournament. Jordan Spieth, who I'll give you the floor to let you talk about in a minute if you want to, at 14-1, to the fifth best odds not going to win this tournament. That's a sucker bet. That's for people like me who haven't been watching golf who are like, Justin Spieth, Jordan Spieth, he's good, right? Why is he Why is he fifth? I'm going to take that. That's not a good idea because you listen to people like Austin Coley on the informal podcast and he tells you why. So why should you not take Justin? I keep calling him Justin Spieth. <laughs> Jordan Spieth, whatever his name is, tell me why he's not going to win the Masters. 
So Jordan Spieth, if you haven't heard very much of him lately, that's because he has been very bad lately. So last year, the FedEx Cup playoffs, what they do is they go from like 120 to 75 to 30 to the winner, right? With Justin Rose won last year. Tiger Woods won the tournament, the um, tour championship at East Lake, but Justin Rose won. Oh, yeah, that was the the tournament I was at, by the way. That was the tournament I was at when Dustin Johnson hit a drive 400 yards. (laughs) So um, Jordan Speed didn't even make it into the final round. Um, he did, he, the last tournament, um, he played was the BMW, which is the second to last round. So, um, and then, so the start of this year, um, he played in November, he played at the Shriners and finished T55. Uh, then also in November, he played at Mayakoba and finished or missed the cut, missed the cut in Hawaii, missed the cut at the farmer's insurance open. Oh, I'm sorry. No, he finished T35 at the farmer's insurance, um, Finished T45 at the AT&T Pro-Am at Pebble Beach. Uh, finished T51 at the Genesis Open. Finished T54 at the World Golf Championships Mexico. And there's that's a very limited field. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he finished in the bottom five there. I'm not sure um, exactly where in the field that was. But then he missed the cut at the players this week. He, he shot 76 in the first round. Um, and ended up shooting 69 in the second, but was one off the number, so he missed the cut. Um, so basically, here, here's my problem with, with Jordan Spieth um, lately, is that I think in the AT&T and the Genesis, he was one or two back in the third round. You know, like he was on the back nine in the third round, he was one or two back. And on both of those tournaments, he finished T45 and T51. I mean, he had two or three holes that just so listen at the AT&T round one, he had a 66 round two, he had a 68, right? Like that's stupid. Good round three. He had a 74 round four. He had a 75. I mean, that's way worse that the, from the first round to the last round, it's nine more strokes at the Genesis. He went 64, 70, 70, 81, 81 in the last round. Um, just just having a lot of trouble piecing rounds together consistently. Now, he's been really, really, really good at Augusta. He finished third there last year, finished third there, I think, in 2017, or second in 2017, and one in 16. Um, so, I mean, he's, he's crazy good at that course, and I would not be surprised if it brought him back alive. Um, but he... That's just warning. A warning. He he hasn't been playing good. That's incredible that he's been playing that bad and he's still, you know, what tied for fourth best odds. That's crazy. That's that's for people like like I said, people like me who don't really watch golf. But at the same time, he has been great at the Masters. So there you go. There's our yeah. golf analysis, mostly from Austin. There you go. So now you know no more than you did when you started, probably. But <laughs> um yeah, Augusta's going to be awesome, as it always is. Really looking forward to it. Um, so, yeah. All right. Let's move on uh, and talk a little NFL free agency before we get to the conspiracy closet. Titans. Titans went out, and they re-signed Kenny Vaccaro, which is great because we needed a safety. Good. That was great. At least really Cyprian. Um, then they signed Adam Humphreys, which – 
I think would be is going to be great to you know especially on third down for Mariota. Um, they signed Cameron Wake, who's forty seven years old. Um, literally forty seven. <laughs> he's literally thirty seven years old. Um, <laughs> and uh, who was the third guy? Who was the last? Oh, they signed uh, Saffold from the Rams. Yeah. Um, yeah. the big, big guard. guard. Then. They acquired another Dolphin when they traded for Ryan Tannehill. Buried um, the lead. Buried the lead there. So what's your thought on the Tannehill move? I really appreciate it. And this is coming from, I'm probably the last person in, in Nashville who is a full-fledged Marcus Mariota supporter. I think he's really good. I think if you put him in an offense that fits his game, he could be a franchise quarterback. I think the Titans, as an organization, have refused to do that. Um, my thoughts about that have, have been noted in this space before. At the same time, I don't think Marcus has ever played 16 games. He notoriously he notoriously gets hurt. Um, you know, this past season he got hurt at the worst possible time. But we have just seen him over and over not be able to play a full season. So the Titans have refused the first they've refused to play an offense that fits Marcus Mariota's skill set. Second, they have been unable to get a decent backup quarterback. I mean, you're looking at Charlie Whitehurst and Blaine Gabbert and you know, Luke Falk didn't even make the team last year. I appreciate them actually investing in their backup quarterback. Is Ryan Tannehill good? I you know, I don't know. I don't really know. But he's been a starter in the league for the last five or six years. So we've, we're at a point now where if the Titans, you know, if Mariota goes down, you have a guy that you're at least confident in, can step in, and has the ability to play well, which is a place that Titans fans haven't been since Marcus has been in the league. So I appreciate it from that point of view. Now, if they're bringing in Tannehill to compete for the starting job, which John Robinson said they were not, the, the GM said that, that – Tannehill was not challenging Marcus for a starting spot. If that's, you know, if that's true, then I like it. If they're actually thinking that Tannehill might be the starter on this team, then I do not like it at all. But I think you got to take Robinson at his word. You trust Marcus to be a competitor and be a guy who's confident in his station with the team and just come out and trust that now we have a good backup. So you can run more. You can take the risk of getting hurt if you need to because we have a guy who can step in for a couple of games. So I, I appreciate that. I like that move. I like the Saffold move. I think he's good. I don't understand the Cameron Wake move. You needed a pass rusher, and you went out and got a guy who's 100 years old, but whatever, maybe it'll work. Um, that's that's the extent of my Titans thoughts. I, uh, you know, I don't know. That's more Titans talk than I thought I was going to do in March. Good for you. So, yeah. um, my eyebrows are raised. My eyebrows are raised on this move. Um, I think it's great for the simple fact that if Mariota gets hurt, you got a more capable backup than Blake Gabbert, which you know you alluded to. Um, I also think it's put it's going to put pressure on Mariota that if he comes out and has poor performance, you have a capable backup that could potentially come in and replace you. Uh, I think that's that's the honest truth. Is it's going to be more of a competition, and in fact, let's say Mariota, you know, he, he's he hasn't been very durable. So let's say something happens and, and he gets hurt. Hopefully not, but let's say it happens. And Tannehill plays really well in the four or five games that he's out. I don't know if Mariota gets his job back, right? Like, 
That's um, the part I'm dreading because you're right. I hope we don't go down that path because I'm really rooting for Marcus. I think he's good, but that could very yeah, easily happen. same, same. I hope Mariota has a great year. We signed him to a long time contract and we're off to running, off and running. But the truth is, we've got a pretty good team right now around whatever quarterback we have. So whoever can get the job done, listen, I'm I'm all for it. Um, so yeah, man. I did not think we talked that much Titans. An interesting Titans all. move. Can you believe that? Man, if I would have told you that it I, it shocked me when I heard it. I was like, what happened? They traded for who? <laughs> they did um, what? Wait, no. What that's exciting. The Titans don't do exciting. I know. I mean I when Which they, by the way, <laughs> the fact that Ryan Tannehill qualifies as an exciting, exciting. Move for your franchise is rough. It's a rough spot. You know, I, I was I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and and the honest truth is, I'm glad that they're being aggressive. You know, I, I'm glad they're not just sitting back and saying, "This is our team. We're going to draft, and you know, we'll see where it goes." Like they're going out and making moves that could, who knows, maybe hurt the team negatively. But you got to put yourself out there, right? If if you want to go from nine and seven to eleven and five or twelve and four. You got to make moves that are going to make your team better. Um, and could, you know, this team somehow be a disaster this year? Maybe, but you know, you got you got to try, right? Like you just got to try. So I, I appreciate Vrabel and Robinson doing that. Absolutely. And speaking of going out and making moves to make your team better, what is going on in Cleveland? Man, um, traded for Odell Beckham Jr. Um, so they've got the team LSU. Um, <laughs> did did Will Wade play a part in these them bringing OBJ to to Cleveland? Um, I think Will Wade he he may be on the market and available for hire pretty soon. So if not, he could be. Maybe so. Yeah, the the Browns bring OBJ to Cleveland. He'll he'll play with Jarvis Landry there. Um, great move by them. I mean, they're they're the favorites to win um, the AFC North this year which is awesome um it's it's crazy to think that you know about six months ago we were waiting for them to open up those fridges you know for them to win a game um and now they're picked to win the afc north it's crazy to think about but you know talking about being aggressive and talking about going for it that's exactly what they're doing they've got a quarterback that's under a rookie contract so they're able to spend money elsewhere and and you know they're they're taking that opportunity so i really hope it works out for them you know, if the Titans don't win it this year, I hope the Browns do. That's the honest truth. I agree with you. I think it's fantastic that the Browns are being aggressive. They they have they have good players, and they're going out and they're getting more good players. It's good for the league. It's good for Cleveland fans. That being said, I will believe the Browns make the playoffs when they announce the kickoff time for the Browns playoff game. Browns fans can't have nice things, just like Tennessee football fans can't have nice things. The reason is that the Haslam family is directly involved with both operations and they are a joke and they need to go to prison because they were robbing truckers out of their overtime pay with their truck stop business. That's a aside for a different podcast, but whatever. I'm rooting for the Browns. I hope they do well. I don't believe they will because they're the Browns. There you go. And that is all the informal NFL coverage we have for this pod because we have to get to the conspiracy closet. Yep. This is the part of the pod that you all have been waiting for and hopefully have just fast-forwarded to right here. But this topic we've had this week, or we, we're going to have this week, is, is one that Sam brought up. 
a couple of weeks ago and we've tabled for a while just to let simmer in the oven, you know, just, just to let marinate a little bit. Um, and, and now we're bringing it out and sharing it with you guys. And that is the age old question talked about for centuries is the earth flat or is it round? <laughs> is it flat or is it round? Sam, I, I know you've done bukus of research on this topic. Obviously. So, so <laughs> I don't think this calls for the mythological creature sl- expert slash hunter to be brought in on this topic, so I will give the floor to you. Okay, so I have done approximately 90 minutes worth of research on this in the form of one Netflix documentary. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple years ago, it might have been last year, I don't remember, but do you remember when it came out that apparently Kyrie Irving believed the earth was flat? Like that was a thing Absolutely. For, for a little while on NBA Twitter. And then I think Draymond was like, yeah, sure, maybe it's flat. You know, it's a thing. Like people believe it. I just thought it was ridiculous. I thought it was crazy. I don't understand, you know, I, I didn't know anything about it. I thought it was just stupid people being stupid, basically. So I watched this this Netflix documentary, and I didn't know what their angle was. Like, I didn't know if it was, let's point and laugh at the Flat Earthers, or if it was, this is why Flat Earth is real, conspiracy documentary, go. It was neither of those things, which was interesting to me. Um, but the, the long and short of it, is that there are a significant portion of people in the world, specifically in the United States, who legitimately think the Earth is flat. And the idea is that instead of the sphere that you see, it's like a... So think about it as like a round tabletop. I'm sitting at a round table now, so this is going to be easier for me to visualize than the people listening. It's a round table. In the center of this round disc is the North Pole, and it's round and it's in the center. At the outside ring is a wall of ice that is the South Pole, quote-unquote, as we know it. People who believe the Earth is round would think of that as the South Pole. It's a wall of ice that, you know, circumference, circum, circumvents is around the whole thing. The sun is just hanging there about halfway between the North and the South Pole, so on what would be the equator. And it just kind of hangs there, mm-hmm. suspended, and goes around the whole thing. So... You know, when it's on the other side of the disc, it'll look like night to you because it's too far away for you to see. And that would also mean that in the center, it's colder, and on the edges, it's colder. That's the idea. And I think they believe that the disc is, like, moving up, directly up, at, like, a really fast velocity for some reason, and that's why you get the effects of gravity. Like, they don't think gravity is real. They think gravity is fake news, and the whole thing is just moving up. So when you throw something up in the air... The, the planet is coming to meet it. You're not, you know, it's not falling. Mm. So that's, that's the 30-second the version of what they believe in. I want your thoughts, first of all, as an outsider. I'm assuming this is the first you've heard of this in any kind of, you know, with any kind of background. Yeah, I, I, I looked a little bit into this, and, and there is a shocking stat that I found, and that's that recent poll found that only around two-thirds of Americans between ages 18 and 24 believe the Earth is round. That means a third of people between 18 and 24 think the Earth is flat and subscribe to the theory which you so thoughtfully articulated to us just then. So like the theory of what you're saying like checks out. 
right? Like it if like theoretically it, possible, it, right? The, it's it theoretically it's theoretically possible. Like okay, you know, if I throw a ball up straight in the air, it's going to come back to me because like stuff is constantly going up like an elevator, right? Like right. sure, fine, like that makes sense to me. You know, everything you're saying makes sense to me. Um, but I don't know if I buy it. That's the thing is I kept waiting for, uh, okay. So this is, it's what it is. It's an alternative theory, right? You, for whatever reason, you've decided that you don't believe that the earth is round. And this is a reasonable alternative. Like they make models and sell them apparently. And when you look at one of the models, you see it and it's like a dome shaped and then the flat disc on the bottom is the earth. And they've got all the continents on there. And the sun's like going around on a spindle, and you look at it and you're like, okay, I could like I can visualize that, that I could see that that's possible. Now, where they lost me is that there is all kinds of first of all, you know, photographic evidence. Like, if you're subscribing to the flat Earth thing, then you also subscribe to the we never went to the moon thing. You subscribe to NASA is just a crock of lies, and everything they put out is lies. It's an organization. To believe this, you have to believe that NASA is an organization that was founded and spends all its time and resources propagating lies. Like, that's why it's there, is because the government doesn't want you to know that the Earth is flat. Like, that's part of this. You have to believe that to believe this. You lose me there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry. I just I can't go quite that far down the conspiracy hole. There's also, like, a lot of physics that this just spits in the face of. There, so the first obvious thing is if the Earth is flat, then there's no curve of the Earth, right? So they did, in the documentary, they did multiple experiments. The first one was the same experiment that I believe the Greeks did, like 2,500 years ago, 2,000 years ago, where you get in a boat and you go out on, like, basically the ocean or a sea, and you have a huge sail, and on the sail there are horizontal stripes, so the one they did, it was like a black stripe, then a white stripe, then a green stripe, then a white stripe, then a black stripe. So five stripes going up. And the idea is the farther away you go, eventually you will start losing stripes because the boat is like going across the horizon, like going over the curve of the earth. And they did, they did this, this experiment, and that's exactly what happened. As the boat went beyond the curve of the earth, they start losing stripes. Like you lose the bottom one, then you lose the second one, then eventually you lose the whole, lose the whole thing. And there were these flat earth people there who watched this with their own eyes. And then the lady interviewed <laughs> them after the fact. And they were like, oh yeah, no, no. That's, you know, it's the heat, the heat bouncing off the water is what's causing that. Like just complete nonsense. So there's a, there's a level of like just fact denial that I can't get over. And that's where yeah. they lose me. Like as an alternative theory, you can see how it would happen until you start digging into it, and then it's just completely, completely ridiculous. Sure. Yeah. So, um, sort of in my reading, um, you know, part of the reason behind the conspiracy is people say that the United Nations flag looks like a, is a flat Earth. Um, it's basically yeah. It's basically the flat Earth model is what it looks yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's part of the conspiracy, but I, I think. Um, basically what this comes down to is people sort of like the moon landing saying that like, we're not going to be force fed news and believe everything you're saying, you know, we're essentially going to say like, you know what? 
I'm not going to believe this just because you said it to me. You know, I'm, I'm just because I see pictures from space and just because people have always told me it's round. Like, I'm, you know what? I'm going to stand against you and, and say that it's flat. Like, the majority of confidence. You know, belief, belief is the first form of proof, right? Like, that, that, is that, isn't that what I said? Um, <laughs> like, that's what, that's what people are subscribing to here, you know? Um, you know, they're just it's like, I, I'm going to believe because I this. know it in my heart. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. So um, this article that, that I was reading um, was talking about the, the 10 easy ways um, to find easy ways to prove that the earth is flat. Um, just some of them, like, like you said, is ships on the horizon, um, you know, that approaching ships do not just appear out of the horizon. Um, they rather, they seem to emerge from beneath the sea, sort of just like you were talking about. Right. Um, some other, uh, points, uh, they made is that you see further from higher up. Um, because you can see further on the curvature of the earth. Um, if you're flat, if the earth is flat, then you not you couldn't necessarily see further, right? Unless there's something obstructing your view, you'd just be able to see as far as you could see. Um, but if you're elevated on a round earth, you can see across the curve of the earth. Um, if you look at other planets, all other planets are around. Um, you know, even, even looking at... Um, the moon, right? I mean, the moon, well, yeah, the but moon what, what the flat earthers would say is that there's no such thing as other planets. Other planets are just suspended in the dome that we're inside of. They basically think that we're in a big, like, planetarium. Uh-huh. And, like, if we were to go far enough, far enough to the edge, we would be able to get out. And then you don't know what, they don't know what would happen. But, think, but what, about, what about riding on a plane? You, you, can, you can take a plane all the way across the earth you know complete you can go all the take the equator all the way around the world you well, end up in about, the same spot think about the the flat disc model that i talked about you could go all the way around the equator on that if you were in a plane you just but go what about in a circle. what about from what about from the north to the south pole oh you could do and that then back too. to the north and back to the north pole well no one's ever done that no one's no one's ever taken a plane ride from the north to the south pole all the way around. I don't think so. Have they? <laughs> That's something I have no idea about. No, exactly. That would if, easily if disprove that, would have, this model. You would have known about it though if they would have done that. So it's yeah. it's all ridiculous. It's like the, there's a guy who is like you know, what the flat Earth thing is. It's basically a movement. It's like a social movement, like a social media thing, and then like they they have meetups. It's a group that these people are part of, and one of the leaders of it, I don't remember his name, but he was like the main, he was the protagonist of this documentary, and he said that he was doing research on this like five years ago, and he he saw someone say that like there's no plant, there's no flights across the ocean in the southern hemisphere because it would be too far. And if you go to a flight tracker, like you can see that there's no cross, like trans trans oceanic flights in the southern hemisphere, and like he didn't pull it up, he just said that. That was a thing he said. And then they had like scientists that will come on and like give their takes on things. And this scientist, this girl, she was probably about our age, like she was she was young, but she worked she was some professor or something, I don't know. And she just pulled up like the Google flight tracker, and there was a plane going from Australia to to like India across the ocean. Like, oh, oh, that was easy. <laughs> you know, it's all you have to like be 
willfully willfully deny facts and and things to to believe this conspiracy theory and it's just way too far for me like I don't think the Yeti is real, but there's at least like there's not so much reality denial that goes into believing in the Yeti. Like you can believe in your heart that the Yeti is real, and I can't tell you that he's not. But you can believe in your heart that the Earth is flat, and I can tell you that it's not. You know, and that's that's why this is not a very good conspiracy theory in my mind. So, the Yeti could definitely be real, is what you're saying. It could be. The question is, if the Earth is flat, what does that mean for the Yeti? Hmm. Man, that that that's something we can dive into next time, maybe. Our uh, our mythical creature hunter slash catcher needs to weigh in on this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So the Earth is round. It's definitely round. We can we can definitely say that we crack this one. It's Dang, absolutely I wish, round. I wish we disagreed on this. It was a lot more fun when we disagreed. It was more fun when we disagreed, but this one maybe we'll do a little more like a pre pod prep and find one we disagree on next time because this one is this one's pretty straightforward it's pretty cut and dry yeah um all right so wrapping up this pod like we said we are going to do the informal uh bracket um challenge on espn so we'll get that link out uh please join us we'd love to play you um and also reach out to us and leave us a voicemail at 615-669 two six two three or you can just tweet at us at informally us or you know if you like to then emails you can do that too at informal publication at gmail.com or send us a letter you know i don't know just get in Snail touch mail. with us somehow yeah p.o box send, one send two pigeon. three four nashville tennessee send hadwig hedwig you didn't see the last movie did you spoiler but yeah thanks thanks for uh, riding along with us on this on this fun journey Um, we'll talk to you next week alright peace